You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called Business Frontiers, Social Responsibility, Sustainable Development and Economic Justice. Afrocentric Business, a Southern Perspective In the dizzy wake of socio-political euphoria following the birth of its new rainbow nation, South Africa faced the sobering task of creating an accompanying economic miracle. The prevailing mood was pessimistic, with many businesses and economics critics all too ready to point out the grim facts. South Africa saw a dramatic weakening of its currency, a lower-than-expected growth in gross domestic product, a steady trickle of the emigration brain drain of its professional skills, and an unwillingness of foreign investors to commit their resources in a crime-anxious climate with relatively high labor costs and low productivity. But while many shiver beneath the shadow of these ominous storm clouds, a visionary core of business thinkers and practitioners in southern Africa has their eyes on the rainbow. They see the failure of most African economies in terms of a neglect of their peoples to foster homegrown indigenous business cultures that are in harmony with the African soil and soul. And they are working hard to rekindle native values in business contexts to provide the sparks needed to transform the economy into a blazing sun of new traditions in Afrocentric management. Values, Colonial Hangovers and Ubuntu Colonialism is a process whereby one dominant set of values gets imposed on the diverse cultures of conquered lands. This has been the thread of the world's political history and is now being repeated in the economic sphere through globalization of corporations and trade. South Africa, which was invaded by Dutch burghers in 1652 and English settlers in 1820, became industrialized with a pervasive Eurocentric mode of commerce and more recently has begun to internalize the seductive consumerist culture of America as well. Add to this the legacy of economic marginalization of the majority of native South Africans through the apartheid system and it is unsurprising that traditional African ideas about trade and business have to date been totally ignored. Note the root word ignorance. The values inculcation that has accompanied the northwestern hemisphere's footprint on southern Africa has left many of its people culturally schizophrenic. Some of these conflicts between African and northwestern culture that manifest in a business context are, for example, social harmony and cohesion versus individual performance and reward participative decision-making versus bureaucratic managerial authority, and creative expression and motivation versus rationality and quantitative argumentation. Underlying these dynamics is a value concept fundamental to African culture that has been largely overlooked by outsiders and hardly explicitly acknowledged by Africans themselves until recently. This is the concept of Ubuntu, or African humanism. In South African culture, it is often associated 
with the proverb which means a person becomes human through other people. South African manager Ruel Koza describes Ubuntu as the philosophy of I am because you are, you are because we are. It is a concept, he says, which brings to the fore images of supportiveness, cooperation and solidarity, that is, communalism. Zimbabwean businessman Lovmo Mbigi, who has written a book on the subject, echoes these sentiments when he speaks of emancipating the spirit of Ubuntu by building a culture based on tolerance, respect, human dignity and solidarity. Ubuntu is supported by a host of related socio-cultural ideas from the African heritage. For instance, concepts like Ilima, a cooperative effort in ploughing, Inquina, hunting as a team, Ukudla, sharing food. Similarly, there is the practice of Ukusisa, or cows never die, whereby when a poor person in the community is encountered, the dignity of that person is protected by someone who is better endowed with cattle wealth, communicating the need for one of his or her cows to be cared for. This transaction in turn provides the destitute member with milk and wealth in the form of one or two calves, after which the original cow is borrowed back. Explorations of how to begin planting indigenous seeds of business management in the fertile soil of African culture, watered by the nourishing spirit of Ubuntu, are well underway. Much of the progress being made is summarized in two books, namely African Management and more recently Saubona Africa, literally I See You Africa, both of which are products of a five-year research program of the University of Witwatersrand Business School called the South African Management Project. In discussing some of the delightful forms in which Afrocentric management is manifesting, I draw liberally on these key texts. Reward and Punishment or Recognition and Rejection in traditional African culture, it is socially undesirable and inappropriate to behave in a way that causes one to stand out from the crowd, in the way individual achievement is promoted in Anglo-Saxon culture. Why? Because this might destroy vital social cohesion in a community by creating destructive competitive behavior or by undermining the role of the elders and royalty as the repositories of knowledge, wisdom and counsel. This is not to say that individuals are not encouraged to master areas for which they display particular aptitude or a natural gift. On the contrary, skillful specialization, whether as a healer, artist, hunter or leader, has always been a key element in enabling communities to survive and thrive. But the context for this achievement is carefully managed through strict social rules so as to enhance the common good and maintain cohesion of the unit. More recently, this collective achievement mode was strongly in evidence through the mass protest movements of the anti-apartheid struggle in southern Africa. Contrast this with the stereotypical workplace and educational reward systems that tend to be based on individual assessment of merit and healthy competition for achievements between colleges. Might this go some way towards explaining frequent tales of African pupils with above-average IQs 
who consistently underperform so as to be just average, or black employees who are leaders in their communities but never seem to be considered for promotion in a white-dominated workplace. Pioneering company CashBuild have recognized this need for group harmony in African culture and hence revised their performance appraisal systems so that they are geared to rewarding team achievements while also rewarding individual contributions to the improvement of the functioning of the team as a whole. In this way, the poor and mediocre performers are encouraged to raise their standards in contrast to the situation where higher performers lower their standards to maintain their identification with the group. According to Albert Kuopman, Cashbuild's former managing director, control and motivation through reward and punishment systems are culturally inappropriate in South Africa and should be replaced with systems based on peer recognition and rejection. As an example, under Cashbuild's old reward and punishment system, the company could never reduce employee absenteeism and lost hours below 15%, despite repeated warning letters and disciplinary procedures. Then, when they used the peer group concept by simply placing red marks next to absent or late employees' names on a publicly displayed chart with no recourse of reprimand, lost hours immediately dropped to 1%. The fear of loss of face or rejection among peers is a powerful motivator in African culture, and one business should heed. Managerial bureaucracy or participative democracy. The search for culturally appropriate alternatives to the hierarchical bureaucratic organizational structures of the Northwest has deep cultural roots to draw from in South Africa. The origins lie in participative communal decision-making in the tribal context, which were still formally in operation as recently as the years of President Nelson Mandela's youth. In his autobiographical Long Walk to Freedom, Mandela recounts his childhood memories of how tribal meetings allowed for full participation by every person of the region, without interruption or intervention by the region chief. Now he reflects on the value of his experiences, and I quote, As a leader, I have always followed the principles I first saw demonstrated by the regent at the great place. I have always endeavoured to listen to what each and every person in a discussion had to say before venturing my own opinion. Oftentimes, my own opinion will simply represent a consensus of what I heard in the discussion. I always remember the regent's axiom. A leader, he said, is like a shepherd. He stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go on ahead, whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along they are being directed from behind. End quote. Among the organizational pioneers in South Africa who are adapting this cultural heritage of democratic participation to a business context is the previously mentioned cash build. Volkswagen is another. Cashbuild started as a cash-and-carry wholesaler aimed at supplying the black housing market in 1978 and despite initial success had begun to show a decline in profits when Albert Kuopman, a white Afrikaner, took over as managing director. What followed is an inspiring story of organizational and personal transformation which Kuopman describes in his book Transcultural Management. 
The process by which he facilitated the creation of participative industrial democracy, which he also calls principled pragmatism, took three forms in cash build. The company's care philosophy, a consensus visionary code called cash build's aspirations with regard to excellence, derived from extensive history, culture and value sharing sessions among employees within the context of a deeply divided society. The VentureCom system, an innovative communication and participation structure that removed the power imbalance in management and labor relationships through the empowerment of shop steward committees and other representative councils. And thirdly, the Great Indaba, literally communal gathering, a three-day annual meeting in which every employee, worker and manager had the opportunity to make his or her views on cash build heard and in which key decisions such as salary increases are also made. At the last in Darbar, it took a mere 35 minutes to conclude wage negotiations. New Afrocentric traditions can draw inspiration from any of Southern Africa's diverse cultures. For example, the Afrikaner practice of holding a Bosparat, literally a bush council, which dates back to their days as foretrekkers or frontier travellers, migrating into the South African interior by ox wagon, is also becoming a popular format for corporate team building and visioning. Management and employees gather in a wilderness area surrounded by nature and away from the distractions of urban life to engage in creative discussions about the future. Rituals and Creativity According to Credo Mutwa, a Zulu author, Sangoma, or traditional leader, storyteller, and keeper of the African legends, the current malaise of poor work ethic in South Africa is alien to traditional culture. He refers to ancient words in Zulu and Tswana that encapsulate the meaning of productivity in an African context, such as the proverb, which literally means he who works with both hands prospers. Love Mbigi, when he was managing director of the Eastern Highlands Tea Estates in Zimbabwe, also knew this to be true and sought ways to translate this into a business context. He decided to introduce a modified version of the Mukwerera ritual in an agricultural festival in Shona culture, celebrated just before the planting season to prepare for the labor of sowing seed. By adapting the ritual into a productivity festival that celebrated past achievements and planned for future goals, while retaining many of the traditions such as spiritual ancestral consultation and endorsement by the tribal chief, Mbigi was able to integrate ancient cultural motivation with modern business objectives. An adaptation of the cow lending or Kusiza concept mentioned earlier may achieve productivity enhancements in relation to new recruits who are skills poor and can be asked to look after a particular machine or task until experience produces its own offspring of greater achievements and responsibilities. Contrary to popular belief, this ritualistic approach is not confined in relevance to rural areas, as Mbigi's present work with packaging company Nampak in Johannesburg and similar experience by the National Sowetan newspaper have demonstrated. The oral tradition of Amasiko, 
according to the wisdom that our oldest people are our libraries, embracing the traditional roles of storytellers and praise poets is beginning to be applied in a business context too. A leading light in the sphere is Brollo Africa, a South African manufacturer of steel tubes and pipes, which began in 1993 to use a process of storytelling through industrial theatre to integrate its company in the spirit of the new South Africa. Employing the professional services of Blue Moon, employees were screened and actors selected according to their dramatic abilities, after which scripts were written and performed to reflect the full variety of Brollo experiences. The results were overwhelming. Reenacting how things have been, how they were and how they could be provided the incentive to involve all employees in a dialogue about the transformation of Brollo's values. Another case study in this area is Group Africa, which uses storytelling, music and dance in face-to-face marketing efforts. In other examples, the role of the traditional praise singer has also been used, both to increase employee motivation and to give feedback to the leaders of their mistakes and shortcomings. The Zimbabwean environmental organization ASTREC, or the Association of Zimbabwean Traditional Ecologists, have even made use of dream communications with the ancestors to initiate, shape and guide their organization. The richness of African culture makes the potential source of indigenous motivation almost endless. An Integrative Vision For Afrocentric business to evolve, there must be a reciprocal flow of ideas and learning between these synchronistic processes of transformation underway in Southern Africa and the rest of the world. Indeed, one conceptual framework for such an integration has already been developed by Zimbabwe-born international management writer and consultant Ronnie Lessem. In his four-world model, which generalizes the characteristics of the geographic quadrants of the world, he finds examples of South African leaders who embody the best of each dimension. His four worlds are Western pragmatic entrepreneurship, Northern bureaucratic rationalism, Eastern holistic integration, and Southern humanistic communalism. African management, says Lessem, as a dynamic whole then, represents an interplay between the four psychological or cultural types. All four philosophical forces are required for fully-fledged reconstruction and development. Another local source of inspiration for an integrative vision of business in Southern Africa, as I have argued in a previous article on holistic business, is the great philosophical legacy left to us by former South African Prime Minister Jan Smuts by way of his theory of holism. Although generally unrecognized as such, Smuts's book Holism and Evolution, which synthesizes his own thinking with the ideas of Darwin and Einstein, is the first clear exposition of what is now more commonly known as living systems theory. In a similar way in which Fridtjof Capra has applied this paradigm to economics and Paul Hawken to business, so too could the application of the ideas of holism do much to tackle the crisis of fragmentation that infects the economic and business life of South Africa. For my part, I am in the process of developing an application called IMPI, Interdependence, Mapping, Planning and Implementation. 
This is a tool for enabling businesses to understand and begin to consciously leverage the complex web of relationships and dynamics in which they are enmeshed. Rainbows and sun rays. Among the Among the most awe-inspiring natural visions in southern Africa are her rainbows and sunrises, especially reflected in the spray and dust of the Victoria Falls of Zimbabwe. The Zulu word for rainbow means the queen's arch, and it is believed to be one of the curved wattle branches that support the hut of the queen of heaven. For the ancient sand bushman, it was the bow of the great hunter in the sky. Perhaps the promising rainbow colours of the new Afrocentric business ethos will provide both a sturdy framework and the sustenance that is now needed for our economic household. And maybe it is the very dust of Africa's monetary desert that will produce a spectacular sunrise on the horizon of southern Africa's business sphere. The answers, the miracle, the pot of gold, the new dawn, as always, lie deep within the spirit of the people of this great land. According to Credo Mutwa, the ancient name for the African continent is Tangawatu, which simply means the vine on which humans grow. And for those courageous enough to embrace the shadows and perceptive enough to sense the coming light, the fruit of fulfillment is ready for the plucking and the slow process of fermentation and transformation into mature wine has just begun. Go well, Africa of the South. Hamburgashle.